You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What's up, Pelicans fans? This is Preston Ellis, host of the Bird Calls Podcast, the pod dedicated to SB Nation's own thebirdrights.com and home to the very best coverage on the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pels have added Boogie, Rajon, Rondo, Ian Clark to the ranks of Drew Holiday and the Brow himself, but will it be enough? Tune in to hear from the people who know best. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Audioboom, and all other major podcast networks. Follow us at The Bird Rights, and let's go Pels! Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today is the New Orleans Pelicans season preview as part of our summer series of previewing all of our teams with our NBA community leaders and, uh, and writers. This is Ben. Mike was here as well. And today we had on Ali Cosell and Travis Tate from The Bird Rights, our awesome SB Nation Pelicans community. Uh, again, this podcast is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. There are lots of great podcasts on there, so I would, uh, I would say go watch or download them all, listen to them all, but First, download this one. Subscribe to this one. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. And you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on SBNation.com backslash NBA. We love getting reviews. We love when you rate this podcast. And we love your feedback. We take it into consideration. We have made changes. I've said this a million times, but like we literally got our awesome music that is part of this podcast you know, feel from a suggestion uh, from a listener. So we, we do really appreciate that. And you can always send those questions and comments on, on Twitter. That's at Mike Prada SBN, at limited underscore upside, or at EpiBen. Uh, you can also send Mike emails. That's Mike Prada at SBNation.com. We try to get to most of the questions, and generally speaking, the questions are awesome. So they help us inform our guests and, and keep us uh, on our toes. So we, we really appreciate those. Um, again, this is the Pelicans season preview. Uh, we had on Ali Cosell and Travis Tate from The Bird Rights. They're fantastic. I think you'll really like this podcast. And then after this, uh, coming down the pipe, we have uh, the Hornets, the Pistons, uh, the Magic, or not the Magic, the Miami Heat, and uh, one other lottery team. And then we're out of the lottery. Denver. Denver. There you go. That was Mike right there. Denver. So sit back, enjoy this episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Podcast number 10 of 30 team preview with a team that I think Ben looked at the list and was like, okay, I need to be on this one. I'm super interested in this one. This was like one of the first ones, and I'm really interested in this one. It's a really fascinating team. New Orleans Pelicans. A big year coming for the New Orleans Pelicans. We got Ali Cosell and Travis Tate from the Bird Rights, SB Nation's Pelicans site. I'm curious, like, is there a level of trepidation for this season? Is there a level of excitement? Like, what's the mood of the New Orleans fan base in a word? Well, I'm going to say cautious, simply because we're coming off, as you know, two bad seasons. And as soon as DeMarcus Cousins came over, the Pelicans didn't start winning right away. And, of course, now we've got to worry about the Rondo holiday experiment. Recently, the uh, doctor situation with the Saints firing a couple of their doctors and the Pelicans keeping one of the fire guys on their staff. There's a lot of uh, things to still worry about, Mike. So, yeah, I don't know how you can go beyond cautious at this point. 
That's maybe the most subdued word we've had so far. Absolutely. But well, I think that's appropriate here, only insofar as it has a medical connotation to it, too, which I appreciate given the answer. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to just make one quick point, but I want to get uh, the, the next uh, mood word here. But, Mike, how did in your intro did you not make any side comment to the fact this is probably the best pun of any of the SB Nation communities? It's a double. Mm-hmm. On, it works on multiple levels. Yeah, and you it like does. that? Okay, sorry. I just I do remember the long conversation we had about what are we calling this site once they change their name to the Pelicans. I don't know if that was before you, Ollie, or not. But I remember there was also like the Pelican brief was thrown out there as a possible one. That's pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of potential. So there's you're probably right. some legality behind that one. But yeah, I think yeah. that was kind of one of the problems. <laughs> yeah. The bird rights. Everybody jumped all over that as soon as Rowan told us about that one. The bird rights. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to derail them. No, you're right. There. I should have seen that coming. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what was wrong with me. Also, with the podcast being called The Bird Calls, so it's Ooh. like, you know, you hear the bird call. That's sort of, that was another sort of nice addition yeah. that we made that was more recent. You can let these puns fly, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> We've had two really bad years. <laughs> uh, Travis, what is your word? Um, for the move of the fan base, because obviously cautious was a good one when you consider the medical stuff. There's also it's a really damn important year because Cousins is a free agent. Uh, what is your word? Yeah, right. I mean, I go a little just more negative sounding, <laughs> just but just barely by saying worried, worried. Um, because I'm worried that the that the beginning of the season they're again gonna struggle like they did the last two years where they won they've only won like three games out of their first 24 if you combine the last two (laughs) seasons (laughs) so it's just been a brutal start each year yeah Yeah. Yeah, right right um so i'm worried that that's going to happen again and i hope it doesn't mike what would your word be uh scared (laughs) scared i'd be scared (laughs) yeah i mean just because uh it's such an important year i mean and the cousins gonna could walk next year. We still have no idea if this is actually like a viable pairing. Although I think they finished the season decently well, um, so there's maybe some optimism there. We don't know that. Davis's future looms over everything. They're on the clock with him. You know, he's not. Leave, he wouldn't leave today or tomorrow or even a year from now. But that's like sort of looming there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mar- It's a. They're big questions with ownership. Big questions with management. Big questions with the health of players. Big expectations, like there's a lot of not great juju going on, and I hope it all works out. But I mean, they're in a it's a it's a really if it doesn't work out this year, that could have serious serious long term implications. And so scared is the word. I, I you're never comfortable as a fan. I don't think like going into a year like this, even if you think that they made perform well yeah you're never comfortable going to this sort of make or break year i think yeah my word was going to be uncomfortable but but for two reasons um number one this roster could make a lot of other teams uncomfortable this is not a team that you look at and you're like oh we'll just use our you know standard defensive matchups our regular rotations because it's just not how you're going to play the pelicans now the uncomfortable side of the coin for for the pelicans is that um you have a little redundancy at two major positions with some incredibly large personalities um and i almost looked at it like you know if you're drafting a fantasy football team or something like that and you draft a running back who could lose his job in like the fifth round you need to get that handcuff in the 10th but that's where i'm a little confused when you look at drew and rondo together um that might be one of the biggest questions that we'll get to throughout throughout this this podcast and obviously davis and cousins 
can play different positions, but are, are ultimately both uh, skilled big men who need the ball in their hands. So I guess uncomfortable is the word I'm using, but only insofar as they can make other teams uncomfortable. But ultimately, there could be some some discomfort uh, internally as well with with just the kind of uh, internal matchups that they're going to be, uh, or I should say, uh, rotations are going to be looking to, to execute. Now, one of the other words that came to mind was perimeter, uh, because it doesn't seem like there's many guys <laughs> to play those positions, but I did not go with that. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into that as we kind of go down the uh, complexion of this team and, and how we look going into this year. But Man, this uh, is a very scary, no, no, it's gonna be, negative well, podcast. It'll end up being more positive, guys, I, I promise. And, <laughs> and, and ultimately, it's... it's yeah, up, I can't believe I was the most optimistic by using cautious. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll get more optimistic because that's up to you guys. You're the, you're the pulse of the fan base. Mike and I are just here to, to you know, kind of start the conversation. <laughs> um, so, so on a scale of 1 to 10, let's get to that, that Cousins-Anthony um, Davis you know, relationship because ultimately that is as far as this team is going to go. No matter what happens, at the guards uh, positions or perimeter positions they have two of the best big men in the league seminal talents in NBA history I mean there really haven't been many uh, players ever like either of these guys let alone together so on a scale of 1 to 10 how well did AD and Cousins pairing work last year post-trade and then give us some places you want to see them improve, places that are important for development. Uh, and then ultimately, and we'll get to the larger national audience, kind of what we missed question uh, second here. But scale of 1 to 10, how well did it work last year? And then where do you want to see improvements uh, that are going to lead to a, hopefully a higher score out of 10 uh, in this upcoming season? Ali, if you want to go first, you can take that. Okay. Um, I'm probably higher than most other people because I would give it a 7. Uh, following the first, okay. yeah, a little higher. If you if you give them the first week where Boogie came over after the All Star break, um, and you know some adjustment period up until his last game of the season, which I think was about four games before he was shut down for the season, that's a span of seventeen games. Over those seventeen games, the Pelicans had a heck of a good uh, solid net rating. I think it was like over five, and they had a top five defense during that time and almost a top ten offense. If you remember, they had a lot of sketchy uh, player personnel on their team, like a Wayne <laughs> Seldon or Hollis Thompson. So I think that's kind of impressive. And as everybody noticed, uh, the biggest needs last season, once Cousins came over, was you know improved decision-making. Holiday just collapsed in a lot of games. And uh, able and willing shooters, you know, once Langston Galloway and Buddy Heal left and at the Marcus Cousins trade, it seemed like nobody really wanted to step up and shoot the ball. So on paper, they addressed that this offseason. So there's reason for hope. There's, there's, you know, there's a chance that they can go ahead and take that step forward. Um, you know, as we've seen over the last few summer months, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins have been working out together, working hard on their conditioning. So I'm not worried about them. It's just the surrounding players and personnel. And it just seems like they put in the right pieces. Uh, one important development, to answer your question, Ben, mm-hmm that I think some people may have missed is the fact that Frazier holiday combo actually proved to be a net positive on the court. Barely. I think it was like plus 0.1 or something on that rating. You're saying still that's, it's a positive Mike. It's a positive because uh, (laughs) well, uh, you're saying that because now they're going to play two point guards again, right? Is that sort of the the logic you're saying that? No, our question. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we'll save that. Yeah. Uh, Travis, what would be your number? Cause I mean, I, I would not have expected seven, uh, to be a number, but you make a really good case, especially when you take away the early few games where they right. look kind of dreadful. Right. And, you know, is your number as high as a seven, Travis? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I w- even before uh, Ollie gave his uh, somewhat optimistic answer, I would also say seven or eight, just because wow. 
I wouldn't look necessarily at the wins and losses that came with them as a combo just because they were so brand new with each other. Um, Now that maybe they've had some time to understand the spots where they're going to be playing from, how, you know, Cousins is going to be in a certain place and maybe AD will be sort of along the baseline or something, you know, whatever it is that they're figuring out in terms of the X's and O's. I mean, they couldn't have possibly have done that on the fly with a team as sort of, you know, kind of, I mean, just essentially untalented as they were last year in terms of the guards and wings. Um, So now maybe that they've got some other shooters sitting around on the, uh, on the three point line, they can figure out different ways for those two to mesh better. Plus, I think the other thing is that uh, Gentry, even for all the criticisms that he takes, he's going to figure out a way, I think, to, um, you know, how is he going to deploy Cousins when AD leaves the floor and how is he going to use AD when Cousins is off the floor? And I think that that'll be another big place where they can make up a lot of uh, points on teams when they when they separate those two. That's all a good point. Um the reason I'm still a little cautious, despite all those good numbers. What was your that, number be, Mike? Uh, I would have said like four or five. Okay. Um, I know they played well at the end of last year. The reason I'm kind of cautious about it is that a lot of times you see teams at the end of the year sort of pick off these really bad teams and put up good end of the year numbers that don't really carry over. You know, and I, I think we may, it's possible we see this again. The other reason I'm not particularly optimistic is that I, do, I don't know about you guys, but I still I don't see the additional shooters and <laughs> additional better personnel that fits the roster like there this year. I mean, I know it can't possibly be as bad as it was at the end of last year, but I'm not sure they really upgraded those areas. I mean, they added Ian Clark on a one year deal, uh, drafted Frank Jackson, well, traded for Frank Jackson on draft day. Um, so he's he's a draft pick. Yeah, um, Rondo, Rondo, Darius Miller, and then re-signed. Darius, no, yeah, re-signed yeah. So I mean, they they literally have I I think what five? Is it five former Kentucky players? Four, five. <laughs> um, I think it's four. It's, four, four. <laughs> it's usually a good team to have a lot of college players from. I mean, so there's, so there's that. Um, I'll say this though, like Ian Clark has an incredible opportunity ahead of him. He could be their perimeter scorer. Right, this is you're bringing this yeah, guy now, in on a now, one year deal. It's okay, a, now you're talking. I'm about just things saying, that are like kind of problematic here. It's an opportunity <laughs> spot. Plus, Drew Holiday ultimately is a scoring point guard. He looks for his own shot. He can shoot a little bit. He can can be a little inconsistent. Like you know, and guys, you know, I'm, I'm a Sixers fan, and I was a huge Drew fan when we got him. I, I watched him play in the summer, uh, going into his first year in the NBA, and just watching him kind of feel for the game and play uh, some pickup in the summer. And you could tell he was going to be a really good player, but ultimately. I think Drew's season last year with you know various things going on with his you know family and off the court issues and things he had to take care of that were paramount to basketball. Um, this is going to be an interesting season to see where his game goes to the next level. He's 27 years old. He's rounding into being a more of a finished product. We know what Rondo is, and yes, and as Mike just showed me with his fingers, Drew got paid. <laughs> now, he's the highest paid player on the team. Um, that's your $25 million. No, for wait, he's not the highest paid player on the it, team, is he? No, yeah, this, Davis is, makes Anthony money. Davis makes 23 uh, seven seven five. Drew Holiday makes twenty five six eight six. Really? Yeah. 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 I, so, it's all the way down. <laughs> so, yeah. with that in mind, guys, and the second part of this question I want to get to is, and, and Mike and I are national guys, right? We 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 have all the different Espionation uh, communities come on, and during the season, we're hitting on what's what's topical for the most part. So, some days we don't get to uh, spend as much time in the weeds with franchises as we'd like. So, tell me something from last year 
that you think went underreported on the national scope of basketball about this team? Something that maybe you guys had a better view of being on the ground. Um, what was something in particular that stood out last year in, in that regard? Yeah, I started mentioning that with the last question, where the Frazier Holiday combo surprisingly mm-hmm. worked. Uh, Holiday, everybody, as you know, <laughs> is questioning the idea of him moving over to the shooting guard position, namely because he has never really performed well in that role. He's not the greatest uh, spot-up three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, his numbers have really trended negatively in the last couple seasons. Before that, though, in Philly, he was actually a solid spot-up shooter. So who knows exactly what we're going to get out of that. But the fact that Frazier, who's terrible on defense, can't, couldn't shoot a lick, <laughs> still was, like I said, a net positive with Drew Holiday, who went through a really tumultuous season. As Mike pointed out, I think those family issues really played a lot in his mind. Yeah. And from what I've heard from people inside, Drew Holiday was overwhelmed. He was stressed out. He had lost a ton of confidence at various points in the season. So I think, you know, removing some of that pressure, having a fresh offseason where there's no new problems on his shoulders, I think there's a good chance that the new Rondo Holiday backcourt can work. And it's basically based on how well Frazier and Holiday kind of performed. And I don't know. That, that is something that was definitely under report. I know Kevin Pelt and others have written on how they just don't see Holiday working that shooting guard. Granted, it's all going to come down to making those open shots. Somebody in that starting lineup, whether it's Solomon Hill or Drew Holiday, one of those two are really going to have to become kind of deadly for that Rondo and the two bigs combination to work. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's an optimistic take. That's optimistic. I'm not sure either. Uh, Travis, is there yeah. anything else that happened uh, near the end of the year that kind of caught your eye that you think maybe good or bad that um you know we aren't really thinking about enough yeah, as we and, enter the season real quick travis i, I want to get one more and i want to just tag on and i'm sure you have an answer coming here and, and by all means provide that but also um because we didn't have any, you guys on you know last year after the boogie cousins trade went down is there anybody who has that that uh, you know not buyer's remorse but like hey i wanted to see how buddy Heald's career would end up and I'm, that's not me that's not me i'm just saying <laughs> is there anybody who's like god i wish we hadn't have made that trade and have progressed in a different way so those are that that's the second mm. part of that question yeah, sure. I, the uh, just really quick on the Buddy Heald thing. Yeah. I, um, I am sort of a, a little bit of a late night Sacramento Kings game watcher on League Pass. I just, that that's just always a team that I kind of go to when it's uh, late at night on some uh, random Tuesday in January or whatever. Um, so it was nice to see him. He took a lot more um, contested shots and was doing a lot more playmaking than I, than I thought he could do even in just that half of a year when he was with new Orleans. So I was, I was, uh, pretty surprised at how, just how multifaceted his skill set was. And then in terms of maybe something that didn't, didn't get looked at a lot. And, and I think that this is sort of, um, at the crux of the problem of of moving Drew to the two, maybe is that the Etwan Moore experiment as of right now, I think has not worked. Um, but at the same time, I am so confident in him for some reason. I just think that he is like the answer as their backup to this year, and that could be huge if you know in those minute because obviously when they've got when they start the game they're going to have Rondo and Drew out there at the same time and then if that first guard to come off is Rondo which i think it would be then you kind of move Drew back to the one and you bring Etwan Moore potentially on as your second as your two guard with the second unit and i think that that's going to be another one of those huge sections of minutes during each game um 
when they're trying to make up from, you know, a potential bad start or, you know, to build on a lead that they've already got. Yeah, they need someone to shoot the ball. <laughs> I mean, like, Eton Moore can shoot the ball, you know, and then so he's going to be an important player. Um, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at some of the numbers, and, like, if you look at some of their most used lineups last year, they were pre- and post-Cousins trade. Uh, actually, more so pre-Cousins trade, I thought, um, because they were quite good defensively for a good stretch once they dug themselves out of that ridiculously large hole. They performed pretty well. The problem was that they also had a number of lineups that drained them, and also none of their lineups played more than 200 minutes together. So hmm. it's like they constantly had people going in and out and in yeah. and out. And part of that is the injury problem, and part of that is that it's a rotation thing too. Like they just don't have a team that mat- really matches. So... You know, you've got. Well, we saw we we would go weeks and weeks and weeks without seeing somebody like Alexia Jinsa and um, and even uh, Tim Frazier, who we were talking about earlier. Like, there was a lot of kind of indecisiveness, I thought, in terms of what the regular rotation was going to be. You know, you didn't know who the eight or nine guys were going to be that were going to play that night. Which I understand because look at that roster. I mean, even now, look at that roster. You have sure you don't have. You have, like, no threes, really. I mean, Solomon Hill's kind of a three and a half. You know, we don't have any pure threes. Dante Cunningham, if they keep him, is kind of a 3.75. Pondexter playing this year? I don't think so. I guess they have Darius Miller now. Yeah. Um, But they don't have any of those plays. They don't have, like, any tall twos. I mean, Moore is, what, 6'4", 6'5"? Solomon Hill? Tall twos, I'm saying. Oh, tall twos, yeah, okay. Like, they basically have a a roster of basically point guards. 6'4". Yeah. Six four. They basically have a roster of point guards, like three and a halfs and fives, and that's all they have on their roster. So it's hard to find a lineup that works all the time. They just they took the whole positionless basketball thing the, the opposite <laughs> yeah. way. They- well, Mike, Mike, a lot of what a lot of us are expecting is a lot of three guard lineups because of the fact they have Boogie and AD mm-hmm. that are going to clog up the paint and they can come out on a perimeter and guard a few guys. They think that those guys, and that this is what Phil Weber recently said in an interview. He thinks the biggest key to the entire season is going to be how well Boogie and AD can guard down, at, you know, at, mm-hmm. as in guarding a death lineup from Golden State or right. something. Yeah, well, I'm not, looking that's for like, another thing I'm not so confident about. Well, I mean, I think yeah. one thing we may have not mentioned enough here is like Davis and Cousins are going to be two of the better shooters on the team. Well, yeah, that's sort of part of the issue, I'm, though. I'm you just, want them near uh, the basket. Agreed, but, well, one of them. Well, yeah. yeah, at least. I mean, I feel like you're always going to have to put one in a position – where they're basically a floor spacer, yeah, and that's yeah. like okay sometimes. But um, right. the the one well, point he shined in that role, Mike. I don't know if you noticed that, but he kind of shined in that role for the Pelicans. Oh sure, I'm sure he did fine. Like he's a good shooter, but like it's also like you didn't trade for Demarcus Cousins to be a floor spacer, you know? Right. No. <laughs> like <laughs> another Anderson, yeah. Right. <laughs> or like you didn't you didn't trade to turn AD into a floor spacer, but you kind of have to work that out. I mean, one thing that will help, and is that yeah, if you. The lineups that were AD at the five without Cousins this year, last year were quite good. So if you can play a lot more of those, maybe you have those weird stretches. But it's interesting you say guarding down is the key to the series season. I'm kind of curious because I feel like the key of the season is a little more fundamental. It's like, can these guys actually stay on the court? Hmm. Um, what's the level of confidence there? I mean, yeah. I guess, you know. Well, let's bring that to the, the larger organizational question here, guys. This is, uh, you know, we had tease this a little bit in the agenda we were kicking around but we can get right to it um what is your level of confidence as mike just said in the ownership that's tom benson right that's it's tom benson still right well in name in name okay okay (laughs) (laughs) okay fair enough uh the medical staff the much maligned medical staff uh dell demps general manager and obviously alvin gentry your your head coach there um 
You can talk about all th- all three of those facets, guys. Um, you know, uh, Travis, if you want to take it first here, what's your level of confidence just in the that totality yeah. of the organization that we just mentioned? Yeah, it's funny that we've we had a question framed that way um, on one of the the bird calls podcasts that I did recently revolving around that word confidence. <laughs> and my answer to anything re- regarding confidence about something regarding this entire organization is none. I mean, I have no confidence, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that they're going to have a good start to the year, that they're not going to be injured, that their owner isn't going to get into some kind of weird family situation, which I don't know <laughs> if you guys are up on this, but like his and Ollie, maybe, you know, the details better, but it's like his son-in-law is like, suing the daughter or something like they're having yeah, it's, an entire it's a mess wow it, an it entirely is different mess. issue there it's very bad so i mean there's also um, the whole thing with um you know they're saying that he's not fit to run the organization mentally right doesn't he own the same yeah too? It, well he like yeah okay. and he like couldn't think of anthony davis's name <laughs> in yeah. a deposition it's really that he sad gave recently honest, like to be honest yeah but he's the guy years old Sure. <laughs> expect that. Of course, and that's that doesn't make it any better. Oh, he I mean, is ninety. Yeah, wow, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. It, this okay. is a that's a mess, and it's it's a sad mess because it's not like there's an easy solution and the family squabbling and anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the answer so for you, it's none, Ollie. What, do you have any confidence in like kind of the infrastructure here? No, it's low. But the one way, the only way to fix this honestly is to replace the ownership. Because, you know, we've already talked about his age and his abilities, but the fact that they've got Mickey Loomis, who's in charge of both the Pelican and the Saints, that's a bad thing. It seems like every year the Pelican's offseason doesn't get started over there on uh, Airline Drive is until the Saints stuff, draft draft stuff, I should say, is done. Um, they, you know, it, it's terrible. Dell Demps is headed in his eighth season, and he's the 10th longest tenured general manager in the league. And what does he have to show for it? Uh, he, he's the one that hired Alvin Gentry and this has been two disappointing seasons and I hated that hiring from the start I wrote pretty adamantly about that the uh, re-signing of Omar Sheik and Alexia Jensa to a team with Gentry running you know as th- this high-paced offense never understood any of that and it, we've got to point out the fact that they, they have addressed their medical staff they've upgraded especially in terms of uh, prevention type of uh, whether it's exercises facilities you name it they really upgraded that area, and we noticed it last year. But they were one of the last teams to make this change compared to the rest of the league. So they've constantly been behind the ball. They've kind of the slow ones to react. Um, and I think the only way to change all that is, you know, addressing it at the ownership level. Well, can, can you? So yeah, real quick though, there's no no you, confidence. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it sounds like it, and I'm learning this as we go right now because I just googled now, it now myself. Now you see why but, like I'm so negative well, about this team. It's I, not because I, of the players. Look, I know Mickey Loomis. That name rings a negative connotation from an NFL standpoint. Like I think of, um, was it an eavesdropping type situation he had? The, ba- but, the bounty gate. Yeah, mean? I mean bounty, yeah. Gate, bounty Greg, gate. Yeah, Greg Williams, exactly. Who, by the way, probably had a bounty out on Odell Beckham last night uh, in the preseason game. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> but I hate Greg Williams. I don't want to go on a whole tangent here, but it sounds like you're about to get started. reprehensible <laughs> that that guy's still in the NFL. It sounds like you're getting um, going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, so wait, why is Mickey Loomis associated or, or running in any way, shape, or form a non-football entity, let alone an NBA organization? That's a great question, isn't he's, it? He's literally uh, like the head of, wait, he's like the, the vice president and general manager of the Saints. Feels like a little yeah, bit different. Yeah, yeah, he's Dell Demps' boss. How and why is that a relationship that exists? What, what is it's a very good question? What, what is that about? <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's definitely be because. <laughs> yeah, it can't be answered. But no, honestly, I mean, Tom Benson isn't a hands-on owner. Yeah. So he needed to entrust it to somebody else. And Mickey Loomis is one of his closest people to him. So, Man. yeah, I know. So Good wait, sound, <laughs> can we back up and so can you explain like this doctor situation? Because I don't quite understand what's going on there. Basically, the Saints, they had Saints players alleging that two of the doctors misdiagnosed them. And other Saints players are confirmed, so they fired the doctors from the Saints, and yet one of them is still, as of this moment, affiliated with the Pelicans. Like, what's going on there? <laughs> Does Mickey Loomis have a son or daughter? Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> like, what exactly is the deal there? I know this yeah. could change by the time this comes out, but Travis, do you want me to go? You want to talk about this since we've talked? Yeah, about it. I, Ollie, you probably know the the details better than I would, but basically, yeah, they the the Saints. Uh, let go two of their doctors, and then one of them, I think, is still on with the Pelicans, who was a relatively new addition to the Pelicans medical staff last year. That would be Surrey. That would be Dr. Surrey. Is that right, Ollie? <laughs> yeah, it's Dr. Misty Surrey. Um, the, the main problem was Derek Jones. He was a team physician for the Saints, and that's where the players like Keenan Lewis pointed the finger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They pointed it directly at him. They even point out, I think Keenan Lewis on his Instagram he page did, yeah. said, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Surrey wasn't to blame for any of, you know, his mishaps and his, you know, pretty much end of his career. So that combined with the fact that Misty Surrey had a pretty successful season, if you if you if you exclude Tyreek Evans, Quincy Pondexter, kind of guys that had pre-existing, so to speak, conditions coming into the year, the Pelicans stayed healthy. I think the biggest injury they suffered besides a Sheik's weird flu-like bacteria or whatever he picked up in Mexico was uh, Dante Cunningham broke a leg. Yeah. That was it. You know, also, they, Davis they, is in and out of the lineup with a lot of free that's stuff. That's Davis' really, body yeah. build, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's not yeah, really the doctor's fault. So much they x-rayed Davis. They take him out of games left and right. So the, you, you could say they were careful with him, yeah. um, almost to a fault. So I think the philosophy kind of changed around, you know, airline drive down the Pelicans' side of things, and it kind of worked out. So I think that's why, they, you know, they kind of feel good about bringing Surrey back because none of the fingers have really pointed. I mean, the, pro- the problem is he was just affiliated with the Saints, he was a team doctor over there as well. Right. You know, okay. guys, we don't know who screwed up that misdiagnosis on Devin Brew's leg. You know, they right. called it a instead of a broken, what was it, fractured fibula, whatever that was. Jeez. So we don't know the details there. Well, I, I, I'm I amazed I, by, I'm amused uh, right now by Ben just shaking his head learning about all uh, of how well, this works. I, I'm just blown away that you, in this day of, you know, specificity and, and, and medical specialization, and and what we know about the NFL compared to the NBA, I mean, this is 50-plus guys on a roster who all have varying degrees of body builds from linemen to running backs and, and cornerbacks, et cetera, to the NBA, where you play a free-flowing five-on-five game and, and your cardio abilities and, and your workouts, et cetera, need to be much more similar position to position because you'll have a big man who wants to shoot threes and a, and a guard who needs to get down there and bang a little bit. And so just this idea that there's a crossover in any way between organizations is, is, is nuts to me. It's bizarre, um, The it? one thing I wanted to point out, though, too, was and this is more of a point is um, a lot of these guys. So one of the reasons why, and I hate to use Joel Embiid as a way to look at how to stay healthy because that almost feels ridiculous to say out loud. Uh, but he's good at falling because of his volleyball career. He, he's actually good at hitting the ground smoothly and transferring weight. And I would love for Anthony Davis to spend some time with whatever volleyball teams down there, LSU, Tulane, you name it, just learning how to hit the ground smoothly. Because I feel like every time he hits the ground, it is the worst contact, and it's always on like his hip. 
Yeah. I mean, you, you know? laugh, but this is a really important yeah, skill. No, no, but I know they, te- I know they I teach players how to do it. We've talked about this. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. You know, and I just – I hate to see like he's having a, a huge game. Slip. Yeah. Yeah, for instance, a guy – I remember he, Anthony Davis slipped early in the season last year. And it's just a slip by most players. But yet somehow he got hurt yep. and he had to you know, miss a game and a half yep. just because of what you said. He doesn't know how to fall. Yeah. I agree. And that, that's <laughs> and that's one of those things where like big, you know, big tree fall hard. And, and ultimately, if you're a slender guy and you got, you know, more hip pointers, uh, you know, knee contusions, things like that, you know, you got to learn how to fall smoothly. So if, if we gave you guys a magic wand and we do this from time to time on this podcast, um, what would you fix? You, you have the option here. It's ownership, you're, you're right? Given, you're given the choice. You can magically yeah. fix one of the issues. Is it ownership, the medical staff, you, you know, the, the management? It's ownership? Is that? Let's th- say what's number two, yeah. like if, you <laughs> couldn't, if you couldn't fix ownership. Hmm. Travis, go ahead. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, that, that's tough. Uh, you know, I guess you'd have to go front office next because, again, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways you can – you can deal with the roster as long as you feel like the guy leading the show, uh, in this case, Demp slash Gentry, uh, that that kind of that uh, that combination, if that was somehow upgraded. But it, again, you know, Demp's Demp's did pull off the the Cousins trade, but then again, at the same time, it should be said that you know we all thought that he was on the hottest of hot seats before that trade was made and so that trade might only be delaying the inevitable mm-hmm. in terms of his career um which you know at this point is kind of is probably a bad thing because they they need to just they need to figure out w- which way they're going what they're going to do how they're going to keep cousins how they're going to keep ad interested um and then obviously you know the rewarding of drew with this con you know they've got a lot of issues that stem from the front office side. Yeah. So knowing all this, this is a question I wanted to ask you, you folks. Like, we all know this that there's something mess, like kind of not right about that organization. It's not the team. It's not. It's not the players. There's something like larger going on. And we talk about it. We talked about it now for about 15 minutes. And I think because of that, there are a lot of neutrals like me who like mentally are trading Anthony Davis somewhere else, just to be like, you know, we don't want. We don't want like this amazing talent to you know be messed up by the organization, and I think that's where it comes from. Does that bug you guys as Pelicans fans? I imagine it does. Um, but do you also like? How do you feel about all that? Well, for me, generally, no, it doesn't bother me, Mike. Just simply because this is what happens: big market teams chase the stars and floundering small markets. You know, but I gotta say, I hate Boston. I dislike those guys. They're <laughs> you're, irrational. You're speaking Ben's language now. <laughs> That's a great, yeah, a great point. That's a great throw point. it out there. Yeah. Uh, all those damn rumors, you know, and they get started oftentimes in their own media. And you know what? They barely ended up with Gordon Haywood after being linked to how many different players, how many different stars the last two, three years. I mean, if they don't have Brad Stevens, there's no way Gordon Haywood a- ends up over there. So I just think their media and their fans fail to account for reality way too much. Um, sure, another slow start by the Pelicans is going to put a lot of pressure on the organization. All these rumors are going to come up. But we got to realize Dell Temps has no pressure to move Anthony Davis, who's under control for three more years. Yeah. So, I mean, Cousins is the guy you got to be looking at, not Davis. Yeah, that was what was so bold about, about you know, Ainge starting his little, um, you know, 
media frenzy with, well, with Anthony Davis's name is just because it's, he's not a guy on an expiring contract no, but in I, any way, shape, or form. It's just but, like he's on a he's on a, a on a bad team in a market that might not be able to facilitate his superstardom. And then oh, welcome to the podcast, dog. Every my dog's usually the one who's barking. Do you so. name have, have you uh, named your dog? Dogs. <laughs> have you named it after a Pelicans player like our Timberwolves person named theirs after Ricky Rubio, <laughs> Rubio. which was a bad mis- was a bit of a mistake. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, the the whole thing with Boston is not like they're going to trade Davis today. It's just that they're he's like sort of the looming future option when they have more of their assets available. I don't think anyone's saying that that trade's going to happen now. Yeah, I think just, it's more like uh, like if they're yeah, going to— Mike, I'm telling you, haven't you seen where the media says another slow start by the Pelicans? They've got to move Davis by the deadline. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure someone crazy has said that. But, like, I mean, that's sort of why I'm curious to see how you guys feel about this because— it's one of those things that there's no – the clock runs out a little sooner than I think te- some teams realize. Like, So I look at Indiana and Paul George. I think the yes. clock ran out on them sooner than they realized. Mm-hmm. They, they realized – But you got to factor in if Paul George had been eligible maybe for the big money, you know, the max, super maybe. max, it might have been different. Maybe. I don't I mean, think – that OKC experiment happens if if he's eligible for the supermax. No, I mean it's maybe. I mean it's possible. I mean it's it's also not necessarily that he's in Oklahoma City, but just that like the there were a lot of factors that went on there with the that lowered his trade value. I just think fundamentally, like they just sort of realized too late that like they are they had they were in that situation where they either need to trade him and get value or they're going to lose him. And I guess they could have waited for the. You know, max the super max, and maybe that's what will happen in New Orleans. And so, you know, I wouldn't say that he's like in danger of moving now, but it is that's why I'm curious to gauge where you guys are at because I think even though a lot of small markets or places that have these players won't admit it, like they know that they're sort of on a short timeline to really prove it. I mean, Travis, do you think does this annoy you that we're talking about this topic? No, it doesn't annoy me. I, I think it makes the team kind of more interesting because. You know, if you take the the I hate this term, but the 30,000 foot view of it, you know, there's only so many players per generation that stay with a team for their entire 15 year or 20 year career. So, I mean, Tim Duncan is is the exception. He's not the rule. Same with Dirk and Kobe, I guess. But um, and that's actually pretty interesting that we've had that many guys have that happen to them. But you know, I I don't think that we're living in a world in which Anthony Davis is going to be a Pelican for the rest of his career. Yeah. And so the pro, so now I'm wondering, well, when does he move? Does he move closer to his prime, or are they able to somehow um, scrape together some playoff appearances? Maybe somehow magically get to a Western Conference Finals in like two years or something. Um, you know, I don't know the path for that. And so it may, it does make me think that he would be willing to take off maybe sooner than the typical Pelicans fan would want. Um, but no, I mean, it doesn't annoy me. It, it, and kind of like Ollie was saying, I mean, this is what happens when you've got a team that's sort of struggling uh, in a smaller market with a superstar. I would note that the there is a big difference to me between what happened or what could possibly happen with with Anthony Davis and what happened with Paul George. Yeah, I agree with and that. And to me, that just, that just kind of revolved. Well, I guess from just from this uh, angle, and that is that like the Pacers were super good for like those three years or so when they were making Eastern Conference finals and losing very tough playoff uh, series against the, against the uh, LeBron Heat teams. 
And just that in and of itself is sort of a different situation, whereas Davis hasn't really had anything even close to that success. I mean, he hasn't won a single playoff game. Is that is that yeah. correct? I mean, he's now correct. in about his fifth or sixth year. Yeah. No, that, that that's all true. And to, to end this sort of point on an optimistic note, like I, these are some of the things I know I was thinking about a few years ago before the Wizards started winning with John Wall, where it's like, I'm not sure I totally see the path that would want to keep him here. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I'm not saying that Wall is the caliber of player that Davis is. He obviously isn't. But it's a, it's an interesting comparison because, you know, early last year when they were 2-8 and eight and there was all this talk about, well, do they need to trade him? Are they in this rock and hard place? And then, you know, they have a good run for three months and suddenly now he's a wizard for life kind of. You know, with the contract we signed, that's why this year is so important. Like, if Cousins and Davis works, and then you toss in Cousins being a free agent himself, and who knows what his deal is, yeah. it could really change that narrative a lot. But if it doesn't work out, then it's only going to get louder. That's why I think it's sort of a really interesting topic. And and also just to put, I a think ball there's on, also go, go ahead, go ahead. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. just a quick thing. Kind yeah. of, a, I think that there's another difference between Davis and maybe some of these other stars that we're talking about, like a John Wall or like a. I'm a big like Giannis fan or even cousins really. And that is that like the style of Davis's game is that he is not a playmaker. Mm. He is a play finisher. And there, to me, there's a huge difference there because now I, 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 yeah, that's probably right. But at the same time, like you can't just give him the ball like you would to Giannis and say, go get, go make me a play or go get me a, but I mean, he can definitely get you a bucket, but, He's right. not going to, he, at this time in his career, he hasn't proven that he is going to deliver passes on point and on time to interesting places to help his team succeed overall. He's more of a, he's closer to a Carmelo Anthony than I think anybody wants to admit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Because like it also, that, that yeah. affects a lot of team building as well, like who you put around him. Yeah. I also think that it's an interesting conversation. We'll have this on the back half. We have a quick break coming up in a, in a moment here, guys. But, um, it's interesting to set expectations about what success is. Like this Western Conference, this particular season could not be better. I mean, it, it really couldn't be more top heavy with really, really good teams. Teams that could have represented either one of the conferences in the finals over the last 20 years. That, that, I mean, there are that many good teams right now. We mentioned Paul George a few times, right? We haven't even talked about Houston. Obviously, the top two teams with the Spurs and Golden State aren't going anywhere. Even Minnesota is going to be good. I mean, I look at my notes here and Denver. I see that last year you guys finished six games behind Denver and one ahead of Dallas. I don't know where that really nets out this year. Uh, but the idea, and, and when seven games behind Portland for that eight seed. So, you know, where, where does the shuffling start and stop and what is defined as a successful season? We'll get much more into that plus... Obviously, we're going to have to talk Pelican's Banana Boat. I'm sure that your terrifying mascot and uh, the Smoothie King Center will come up on the back half here. Quick read from uh, from our sponsor here, and we'll be right back. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. 
the razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter. It feels really smooth coming off your skin. It actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream. It's nice and clear, and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream. And you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized. It's a terrific deal. You get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the Dollar Shave Club. And now, lucky you, for a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 a month with free shipping. And after that, razors are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of pork cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just 5 bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave. All right, and we're back again. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Joining us from the Bird Rights, our Pelicans uh, SB Nation community is uh, Ali Cosell and Travis Tate. I'm Ben, here with Mike. Just to do a quick reset, we were having a great conversation before the break there, and I think it's time we lighten this up a bit before we get back to those expectation oh, yeah. settings and, and whatnot and, and predictions at the end. And, Mike, there's one way we've been doing this, I don't know, we'll call it the fun part of the podcast uh, for our previews this summer, and that's, that's our good old banana boat, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll get Thanks to, to Dan Rubenstein, by the way, for this <laughs> yeah. question. You gave me credit for yeah, it on a podcast I, did. I didn't deserve. You're a humble, noble man for not taking that, that massive credit for such an innovative idea. But yeah, thanks. shout out to Rubenstein uh, for that one. Um, so we'll get to the uh, Pierre the Pelican and, okay. and fixing that situation <laughs> before we do our predictions. Oh, yeah. Um, which, by the way, he looks like an amalgam of everything that's ever scared a child well, at, wait, at no, a fair. No, we're talking the old Pierre the Pelican, <laughs> okay, not yeah, the current no, Pierre no, the Pelican. No, the, the old one still haunts. Like, that's why it's fixated in my mind is what it looks like. Because <laughs> yeah. if you blink too long, you see it. Um, okay, so let's get to that uh, that all-time franchise banana boat. All right, And again, I'll set the table as these are not your three best players in franchise history. They're not even your three necessarily favorite players. But these are the three guys you want to be the fourth with on your very special Pelicans banana boat. Travis, if you want to go first here, the floor is yours. Yeah, so three guys you said, right? That's yep. correct. Yeah, all right. So, And so um, I know we were talking about this before we started recording, but I worked for the Hornets, the then Hornets, mm-hmm. uh, for a season. So I kind of vaguely know some of the personalities from the 2009-10 season. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a little heavy towards towards some of the guys there. So uh, my first guy would be Julian Wright. He was just the oh, guy wow. that I got along most <laughs> well with. Uh, he, it, for those of you who don't remember him or have no <laughs> recollection of him, he was kind of a he was like a three four combo forward. He had good length. He went to University of Kansas. I thought he was going to be um, awesome. Yeah, he was like one of those people I yeah. was so wrong about. I thought it was going to be <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. And, and also, as like, so I, I'm, I'm in um, Champaign, Illinois, which is where the University of Illinois is, and Illinois recruited him very, very hard, and we thought we were going to get him, and then Kansas kind of swooped in and took him real quick. But anyway, <laughs> so Julian Wright, uh, number one. I'd go two would be Peja. Uh, I just think he's a very handsome, devilish smile kind of guy with um, – you know, I can actually imagine him like hanging out on a on an actual banana boat. Like, oh, I yeah. can see him Absolutely. sort of like in the Greek Isles somewhere. Um, <laughs> Page, I believe, is our first repeat boater because yep, yeah. the Kings people Kings also picked him. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. We, we should give a Page uh, award at some point. On the, we'll do it again. <laughs> anyway, so keep, keep going. Yeah. Who's the third? Um, and then after that, I'd go Aaron Gray uh, because I feel like he could shut down any sort of uh, problems that we've got when we're walking around wherever we're going banana boating if you don't remember aaron gray yep. he was like seven foot two like 300 and something pounds this gigantic uh white dude from pit yep. Um, oh, yeah. yep. and uh he was steven yeah, adams so before my... steven adams basically with well, much well, less ability just because he was a white guy who went to pit just a big dude from pit who's an enforcer yeah. i mean what do we, right. it's not too far. okay i'll give okay. you that okay, okay. <laughs> no and you know, and we did have maybe one of the most memorable games of that season when i was in new orleans was uh we were playing the orlando magic who were still really good at that time and dwight howard was was wrecking the league and um and we went down by like 20 or something and Aaron Gray came in and kind of, you know, I'm putting kind of in big time quotes here, uh, shut down Dwight Howard the rest of the game. We came back and won that game and it was very exciting. Nice. Long uh, live Aaron Gray. Long live Aaron Gray. Ollie, <laughs> who's on your boat? All right, I'm going to go, since Travis went that way, I'm going to go with the guys that like to have a lot of fun. So <laughs> first to top the list, you got to throw Baron Davis out there. Mm-hmm. Baron, Absolutely. You know, and then following him, Tyreek Evans. I mean, Tyreek Evans, I don't know, last couple seasons, he Snapchatted a ton of him staying out till 2, 3 in the morning. So he's got to be on there. And another guy that I've noticed, and he's, you know, he was not even here a full year, is Terrence Jones. This is another guy that really likes to mm. get out there. So if you want to have a good time, I think those three would really keep you out all the hours of the night. I'm, I love those picks, by the way. Tyreek's a guy from from the town next to me where I grew up. Been hearing about him since he was a child. Um, always in and out of trouble for the wrong or right reasons. Um, so I do like that. And then Barron's a guy who's a friend of the pod. We had him on here before. Yeah. Great guy. You're stretching a little bit to say friend, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. pod. <laughs> Come on, Mike. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't have uh, guests. We have friends, man. Come yeah, on. You're right. Yeah, maybe I should, we should dial Barron up and see if he can join the team preview series. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing right now. Right? So. <laughs> uh, he's doing more important things going on our lowly podcast uh, i'm trying to think if there's anyone else that uh in hornet's history or pelican's history that would belong uh in a banana boat i mean dude you got rondo on your team right now he's a I'm weird not, guy i'm not sure yeah. i want a vacation with him. that's though. true i can sit hey guys we thought about jr smith too oh right of course yeah 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 jr smith yeah you got to have him on there uh bird man Birdman, Chris Anderson. Oh, you guys want to get in trouble on this vacation, I see. I like it. I like where you're <laughs> at. That's good. 
Uh, all right. Can we – I guess I'll ask this really convoluted yeah. question about Pierre the Pelican because I was just dreaming it up. Um, first of all, like, were we, like, were we right to, like, kind of go nuts about how terrible he was? <laughs> like, what, locally, did people not li- like him either? No, they actually, I think, liked him. You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, we, if we accepted the king cake baby and, you know, oh, right, of course. he is – yeah, I think Pierre fit right alongside him. Now Pierre's a softy, and I don't know what his spot is anymore. He's still, you know, I've been to a few games uh, away from him. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I miss Pierre. So um, let's say you can bring him back. Um, but you're not allowed to make him the mascot again, unfortunately. The league does not like fun. Um, what job is Pierre the Pelican occupying, the old Pierre the Pelican, in your in your organization? Chief medical I officer. It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it, I think he's perfect for any kind of uh, Halloween night game that you might be hosting, uh, just to go out and scare the kids. I mean, I'm I'm surprised. So I wasn't living there when he came out, and I'm surprised you hear to hear Ollie say that he was uh, much beloved in uh, New Orleans at the time because he was he was frightening the entire time with the with just that that beak man. Oh, it yeah. was very evil looking. It's it terrifying. Awful. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but people just fell in love with him, and you know, <laughs> he kind of fit the profile, so to speak. But I think you got to think bigger though than ha- um, Halloween, Travis. How about making him like the head strength coach or something? Wait. So what would the threat be if you don't like finish this set? I'm going to look at you. Yeah, I just, I just like envision someone like Demarcus Cousins is on a bench and he's just like sitting there and he's trying to bang out like the last set and the Pelican guys there spotting him, just standing exactly. over him like feathers in his face, staring at him. Um, yeah, yeah, Strength coach is a good idea. It is. It like is. as a as like a boot camp type of motivator. Well, but usually they're like vocal though. Usually they you know they're the ones berating you and telling you how how weak and pathetic you are. Well, so let's that assume you're... that Pierre can talk yeah, because yeah. otherwise, like there are a lot of jobs that Pierre couldn't do it's, if he wasn't able to talk. It's actually been Dr. John the entire time. Pierre's actually been the team doctor <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, I mean, he's interesting. And New Orleans is kind of like a town with some interesting customs. So it, it totally would have made sense yeah. that he stuck around. Now they're just like a generic bird. It's not New Orleans. New yeah. Orleans is kind of like a funky little town. That's true. Well, like Ollie noted, at least we still have got the, the king cake baby who is, mm-hmm. I mean, he's... He's in a class of his own, I think, and yep. he never wins. Or wait, does he never win that race, Ollie, or does he always win the race? I think he never wins a trap. Wait, what? What race? Yeah, they have like a. Well, is, what is this? They do like the sausages that race in uh, in Milwaukee at yep. those baseball oh. games, except that he races against like other figures of Mardi Gras. So Ollie, maybe. So what, what other figures? There. <laughs> what other figures does he race against? Yeah, that's just during Mardi Gras, and you know what? I didn't go to any this season, so I can't recall them right now. Ah, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> but it's also it's a small track to race around. Like the whole reason that the sausage race yeah. works in baseball is that's a big field. Um, yeah. Anyway, I had some King Cake Baby. Uh, was it King Cake Baby uh, stuff? Because Elena brought it back. Oh, last year yeah. it was amazing yeah and i want to have more of it so all hail king cake <laughs> it, was, it was terrific because you bite into it and it like you can you bite into the kid the baby yeah they, they, they stick the baby in the cake right that's how it works 
Yeah, the plastic, little plastic figurine. I remember. Oh, it was it was great, and it was weird biting into it. <laughs> Very weird. Um, I hey, guess we should talk about the yeah, well, expectations. Yeah, I just want like real quick question into the expectations because this is something that I've thought about for a lot of our teams that have like uh, you know or four sports cities with the four key sports, and that's not what New Orleans is. You know, you guys are uh, in the middle of a. a I would say a college-obsessed, uh, you know, state in terms of you know LSU being probably the biggest brand other than the Saints uh, within the state. How much of um, of the expectations and fandom and emphasis on the Pelicans, or maybe it's a totally distinct fan group that that is not you know uh, affected by this, but how much of those expectations come from when the Saints are bad? Because recently, and the Saints have been a really good franchise for the better part of the last decade, uh, coinciding with the Pelicans coming back. How much protection did they give, and then how much cover is taken away when the Saints are bad, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, the Pelicans are a team with two of the best young players in the NBA? Here's what I could say. I would say that the that the biggest brand down there, as you mentioned, is LSU football, but that the Saints are right there in terms of people in the city. And when I worked there uh, for that season, as I mentioned earlier, the 9 10 basketball season, the Hornets weren't very good. They were about two years past uh, when they almost made the Western Conference Finals, which was a big deal. Um, but that also was the season when the Saints won the Super Bowl. And I can, you know, I can tell you because I was in on Frenchman, I think, and it was just a it was a wild scene. But, um, you know, they've always wanted to make sure that, for instance, uh, there aren't um, Pelicans games on the same day as saints games because they know that the saints games are going to be a bigger draw um and so i i don't know if it's necessarily cover because i also think that the saints kind of have more of a diehard fan base like kind of i would maybe compare it to like the cubs even when the cubs were terrible for forever people always went to wrigley they you know sold out all the time they had a really passionate fan base even when their team was losing 100 games um, and so I think that that was kind of the way the saints had been for the previous, you know, prior to breeze those like 30 years or 40 years right. or whatever of right. just really, really bad football. Yeah, And, and, and I, so I, I don't know if they really got any cover from that. It's true. And, and I guess part of it that I look at is the saints are like a, a and I mean this almost like a, a country's team. Like I look, I've always looked at new Orleans as being almost like a, a sub country with inside of the United States. It is its own culture, has right. its own way of talking, food, you name it. And it's amazing. And it's one of my favorite, legitimately favorite cities in the world. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a diehard LSU fan, but but one of the things that I you know I've always noticed is that those the Saints fans carry that fandom the same way that like the French national soccer team fans would or like English mm-hmm. soccer fans would or whatever. Yeah. It but, is very like distinct to them. But I mean even physically the smoothie center sits in the shadow of the Superdome. Like right. it's it's, yeah. it's you know a very real It's very thing. fitting. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and it, it's also it's significant because it informs how they build their team. Yes. They're so wor- they have season ticket can't limits to hit, you know, that I think were imposed by the league, right? I mean, this is a market that already failed at basketball once. Yeah, so there's yeah. at any moment, like unfortunately, the the team, the franchise is sort of hanging on by a thread. I mean, a lot of people didn't think that they should have returned there in the first place. Yeah. You know, so that informs their franchise decision making. They they think very short term. Yeah. And I think that's why it's significant that we bring this up. Yeah. That's a, lot yeah, of well, and, that's a good point. And, and I'll note, you know, um, the history of the uh, New Orleans basketball team since they moved there in the 2000 or 01 or 02, I mean, it's been nothing but 
tragedy that's happened since then. Obviously, Katrina, where they straight up have to move out of the city for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then they have these teams and then Chris Paul is here, but then he leaves and they lose a tragic series to um, the Spurs in that in that year I was talking about. I think that was 07 um, or 08. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean, they've had they've literally had players die. Um, It's just been nothing but you're talking about tragedy. Well, there's Bobby Phils, and then more recently, um, Bryce. Oh, right, Bryce uh, Dejon Jones. Dejon, Dro- yeah, Jones. That's right. And um, and I mean, this is for a team that's only been in New Orleans since you know 15 years ago, and they've already had all these uh, terrible memories. I mean, if you compare that to like the unbelievable luck and tremendous success that like Oklahoma City has had, for instance, I mean, you could <laughs> and they, they, they yeah. moved in only like five or you know five or six years after, but I mean, they're They've got an entire story written already about how, you know, how well things have gone in Oklahoma City. Plus, they only have a team because of the Hornets. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to say well, that's right. the ultimate yeah. irony. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's the ultimate irony. Yeah. Um, so against yeah. this backdrop, uh, Ali, what is the best case scenario for this year? Yeah, and best case, is- worst case, and, and give us a prediction on, on the wins. We'll go on the record now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Best case is roughly about, I would say, six in the Western Conference. They'll tally up, say, about 47, maybe 48 wins. And this is with Cousins and AD clicking. They're staying healthy. The guys around them shoot the ball. The defense stays strong. And Rajon Rondo, he fills a need where his decision-making, you know, is just overwhelmingly a big positive as compared to all the negatives he brings. So a lot of things have to go right. And like I said, you know, maybe fifth, depending on, you know, how injuries always play out every year. But, no, I'm thinking more like around sixth place. Now, the worst-case scenario is obviously out of the playoffs. And as we've touched on, that would be drastic or uh, a fatal almost um, outcome because so much hinges on. And I've heard that DeMarcus Cousins' playoffs are bust, so to speak. This guy is so hungry to play in the postseason, entering his eighth year. Um, There's nothing else he wants. And if he gets it, if he gets that taste, there's a good chance he resigns and they can try again next year for, you know, something better. But if it doesn't work out this year, as Mike's been kind of alluding to, where do they go from here? We don't know. Yeah. So it's a scary thought. Yeah. It seems like there's extreme polls here with this team, almost mm-hmm. more than any other team in the league. Um, let's see, Travis? Yeah, because so much is riding just beyond one season, Ben. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if a lot of people realize that. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's, and that's yeah. goes a little bit back to what Mike was just saying about having to really always play for the short term. But ultimately, as any NBA franchise who wants to be successful over, over the long haul, you have to have a, a vision of what you want your team to be three, four, five years down the road. Um, Travis, what do, you, what do you think, bud? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same situation. I, th- I think the best that they could probably hope to do would be the fifth seed. I think that the, there's a top four in the West and then everything after, um, you know, whether you think San Antonio, Oklahoma City or the Rockets are going to finish fourth. I think everything is up for grabs between seeds like five and maybe 12. Um, and so I think worst case scenario is that they finish like 12th. And then I, th- I think uh, the most likely situation is that they either barely make it in or barely miss. So I would have them finishing either eighth or ninth, I'm guessing, uh, in like a in, in terms of what I think is going to happen. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Oh, man. Yeah. You don't, have, you just, don't have them in the playoffs, Mike? No, I don't think so because they're – 
it's the same story with them every year. Like if it all clicks together, like there's a lot of good stuff going. It's just that this nothing ever clicks together. There's too many questions. Yeah. If if Rondo and Holiday work, if Nick Cousins and Davis are maximized, you know, if they can find somebody who can hit a shot, if yeah. they can stay healthy, you know, five zero. Yeah, that sounds. And if, <laughs> it's if, very close to my house, guys. I gotta go. <laughs> you know, if they can do, if their their system actually works with this personnel, you know, if they, just too many. If Davis can avoid like the fifteen games that he misses yeah. every year, like just if I could see a world where it all works out, and I think I really want it to because I think it's I want to see Davis in the playoffs, Cousins in the playoffs. Like it's a crime against basketball in a way is that we don't see those players featured yeah. in the biggest stage. I just I think there are too many ifs. I think it's another year of high thirties and the eleventh spot in the playoffs. And you know, I, I if that happens, like if you're the Pelicans, would you trade Demarcus Cousins at the deadline and just get something yeah. from him rather than nothing? You know, it's, and I wonder how how. Alvin Gentry's role as the coach matures into this season too. Right. If he's not the fall guy, if it doesn't go, you know, off to a good start, um, this is fun, guys. I'll say this: I have them as the eighth seed uh, in the West this year. I do think they're going to get that interesting first uh, first round playoff matchup with Golden State, which is ultimately the benchmark. Then you get to see have we improved at all over the team that was swept uh, what three years ago now? Three years ago. Uh, yeah. It will be three years, three years ago by this the year. playoffs. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so that that's a good way to kind of see how. You have progressed uh, over a, sh- a slightly longer period of time, not just one year, but three. Um, and ultimately, then, there's your bar to see if that's enough to make Cousins want to stay. But I do think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they'll be the eight seed. I'm not as high on the Mavericks. I think Denver is slightly below them. And I think Portland will regress a bit, but how much is the question? Um, anyhow, this is great. Ali and Travis, you guys are, are awesome to talk to. Uh, I don't speak for both of us here, Mike, but this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking about the Pelicans. And in, in general, guys, you have one of the most interesting teams in the league. Good, bad, that remains Maybe to be seen. Maybe the most interesting team. Though. Exactly. Other, the only other team I'm like more interested in is Oklahoma City, just other than the Warriors, obviously. Sure, sure. And Oklahoma City and Houston, but like, the, but yeah. other than those two but teams. Those are like, you know, you just named like two, what, two of the five best teams right. in the league. This is a team who might not make the playoffs, and we're yeah. sitting here talking about them as, as one of the most interesting. So the, the Bird Rights has its teams. hands uh, full this, this upcoming season. It's a lot know. for them to write about. Yes. That's, oh, God. Yes. That's right, Mike. That's right. And, and we managed to keep Mike's um, puns here to, I'd say, a minimum. And we usually try to go under three and a half, and I think we hit three. So still time. Yeah, still time, still time. But uh, again, <laughs> Ali and Travis, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Cool. This is cool. terrific. Um, so, yeah, up next, Charlotte. Hornets are up next in Detroit. I think both of those are going to be interesting teams. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, Denver and Miami, and we're done with the lottery. And we're almost out of it. Almost out of the muck. But uh, until the until the next time, you'll be hearing from Mike on the, uh, on the Hornets. Uh, and this is the, the Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.